Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Mark 10, 13-16 Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10 Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. Hey, it's Jonathan, and welcome to Epiphany, an audio devotional for all of us on the way to wisdom. In the book, How to Surprise a Dad, the third way to surprise a dad is not to make something or to do something, but it's to find surprises. The author of this amazing kid's book describes finding surprises like this. Look up, look down, and all around. Stay still and listen. Take a whole search through sand or kick up leaves. The author goes on to say, kids are especially good at finding surprises. So if you want to find a surprise, consider looking at the caterpillars or the stars. Surprises are in nature all around you. Neurogastronomy is the science of how the brain creates flavor. The term was coined by a neurologist, Gordon M. Shepard. And essentially, neurogastronomy is about how the eyes and the nose and the ears and the touch of the hands and, yes, the taste buds in your mouth all work together, not just to describe a flavor, but to co-create the experience and the sensation of what is being consumed. Now, this science is being used to rewire the way that we experience food holistically and how we bring our whole self to that experience. And the horizons of this can be used to not only trick us to eat our vegetables, but also to increase the well-being and quality of life of those whose tastes have been diminished due to chemotherapy and other illnesses and healing journeys. You can call this neurogastronomy really the science of flavor, or even more so maybe the science of savoring. It's kind of like what's happening when you watch Ratatouille and you see the, the taste pop up on the screen like colors and sounds, jazz and brightness swirling together to create something worth savoring. But savoring isn't just about food. Of course, that's a good place to start. In a course created by Yale University on the science and psychology of well-being, one of the main practices that they prescribed to people to increase their overall well-being of life is to savor, to think about memories where you've had a good experience, where you've had pleasure and happiness, and not just to think about them, but to ask yourself why those things bring you goodness, bring you happiness, bring you fulfillment. And it's in that second question of asking why that is actually where the savoring takes place and where that well-being is increased 
and where that joy is solidified. For over a thousand years, the most widely accepted understanding of how the universe worked was something called geocentrism. Geocentrism is basically the idea that the whole universe, the stars, the sun, the moon, other planets, revolve and orbit around the earth. Now this idea was really hard to shake and really easy to buy into for a couple reasons. First of all, it was Aristotle who proposed it. So that's hard to shake. But the other is because when you stand on the earth like we all do, it seems as if the universe revolves around you. And while that's hard enough to get rid of, the other reason is because when you look out into the stars, you look out into the sky, they all feel the same in their immensity, in their distance, and in their impact on our life. Day and night, sun and moon, they feel the same when you look at them. But here's one of those great surprises. If you really pay attention, if you really take on that view of a kid and look at nature, you'll actually see that the sun is 1.3 million times greater than the earth. And the earth is already four times greater than the moon. So while it seems like they are competing for the same airtime, the sun is way more impactful and grand, beautiful and powerful than the moon. And the moon, any light that it gives, is really borrowed and reflected from the sun. So switching from a geocentric view of the universe into a heliocentric understanding that what we really revolve around is this great, big, warm light really changes everything. The way we experience day and the way we experience night. You can imagine how challenging of a surprise it was for the rest of the world to accept that the universe didn't revolve around us. As a matter of fact, from the first time that Copernicus first suggested it, it took 30 years to even publish it. And then from the time of publishing to the time of it being a widely held and accepted understanding of science, it was almost a century later when Galileo looked up through his telescope and confirmed Copernicus's suggestion that we revolve around the sun. And you can imagine what a surprise that was. First of all, that Aristotle was wrong. But second, that we actually orbit something greater, something brighter, something warmer, something bigger. And that's what it's like to receive the kingdom as a child. Jesus says that the kingdom is not something that is imposed in violence, that is forced upon us, or that we force upon the world. But rather it is something that is received, that the life of the kingdom, the life of Jesus, and the joy that comes with it is something that is to be received and in that receiving is then offered to those around us. It's like in How to Surprise a Dad, when we stay still and listen, and when we kick up leaves and search through sand, 
whatever is immediately available and around us, but we do it with the lens of awe and wonder, like a child, surprised. That's what joy is, that moment of surprise. But it's not just about the surprise, because that would keep us in a passive position. But when Paul is writing from a prison cell to the people of Philippi, he says, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. So joy is not just something that comes upon us, but it's when those things come upon us, when we're paying attention to life, it's the choosing to savor. The choice, the brave choice, to hold on to those moments, to lock them up in our hearts, to think about them, to use our full experience like neurogastronomy, all of our senses, all of ourself, to those experiences and savoring the goodness. This is why Nehemiah tells his people on the eve of a big and daunting day, in the midst of a crisis of trying to rebuild a community that's been destroyed, Go and eat. Eat good food, good drink. Take some who, to those who don't have any. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's something in the savoring that becomes a sustaining strength. That's why Jesus prepares a meal right before he enters into the cross, right before he knows that his followers will be struck down with doubt and grief but to sustain them in that, the joy that's available is like a good meal prepared to be shared together. The psalmist says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The table that has been prepared, that Jesus prepared for his followers, that Nehemiah calls his people to consume in the midst of their own enemies and that is available for us to partake of and savor and enjoy, it's been set before us even in the midst of our greatest pain and grief. Because you can't talk about joy without talking about suffering. They seem to walk hand in hand. And to truly understand one, you have to pay attention to the other. And over the past few weeks, I've been able to work with spiritual leaders from Palestine both Christian and Muslim leaders who are facing incredible violence and oppression and upheaval and chaos. But they're committed to collaborating together to create solutions that advance good in their neighborhoods and their community. And while we were coming on to a time together, one of them was sharing how their family is in the neighborhood that's been most impacted. And even though he can't see them, he calls them on FaceTime and he says, the thing that's getting me through is hearing them still laugh, hearing them still joke with each other. The thing that is getting me through, his own resilience, his own sustaining, comes from their savoring of each other's company. When we take our seat at the table that's been prepared in the midst of our enemies, when we take up the invitation of scripture to savor the surprising goodness that can still be found, what we discover is that that joy, the joy of the Lord, is our sustaining strength. 
and not just the strength to weather our own suffering of our own soul, but the strength to weather in faithfulness, the solidarity, to entering into the suffering of the world, to enter into the suffering of our neighbor, and even the suffering of our enemy. What's surprising about this joy, what's surprising about this meal that we can savor, is that it becomes our strength. It leads us back into the suffering of the world. Because when the psalmist says that weeping lasts in the night, but joy comes in the morning, it's not because these two things are opposite, but because they're related. Our experience of the sun and the moon, it looks like they're the same competing for airtime. When in reality, the question is just, what are you going to orbit your life around? What are you going to revolve your own universe around? Will it be yourself? Will it be the momentary eclipses? Because suffering always orbits like the moon around the earth. But there's a greater and brighter warmth and light that you can orient your life around. This is the mystery. This is the mystery that we're invited into. The surprise of joy that we're invited to savor. In another portion of scripture, the psalmist says that those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out with weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. The mystery of the Spirit is that when you sow your tears, and it is tempting to not sow your tears because it's a lot easier to hide our tears, to hoard our tears, when it comes to our own life or when we look at the world and its brokenness. But when you entrust your tears as if it's seed into the soil of the Spirit, what you reap is a bounty of joy. And that joy becomes your sustaining strength. Here's the thing about joy. It starts as a choice. A difficult and brave choice. A choice to see the world through the lens of awe and wonder. Even on the smallest scale even on the hardest days. And that choice, when made over and over, can sometimes become a feeling, a replenishing feeling of strength and exuberance. And that feeling, again, over a long time, becomes a reality, the way in which we live. And that life even spills on to others without us even noticing or trying. But still, it never ends being a choice. A brave choice. So today, may you not keep your inner child from coming to Jesus. May you let them come and find the surprises all around. May those surprises catch you up in awe and wonder, even on the smallest scale, even on the hardest days. May you make the brave choice of savoring, relishing, tasting, and seeing all the ways 
that God is good and near and unconditionally available to you. May you make the brave choice to orbit and orient your life not around yourself or the momentary eclipses of suffering, but the warm, bright, brilliant light of the sun. May you find a sustaining strength of joy that can't be touched or altered by anything life may throw at you. And may you use that strength to stand in solidarity with those who could use some warmth and light of their own, who could use something to savor, who could use the joy that you've received. And may you rejoice and enjoy. And again, I'll say, may you rejoice. Thanks for listening. I'm Jonathan, and this has been Epiphany.